0: Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurs Chat, a podcast brought to you by Kleinwater Ambrose. I'm James Hurley, Enterprise Editor at The Times, and I'll be your host for this series. From startup to sale, the course of building a business never did run smooth. And in this series, we go behind the scenes, exploring the highs and lows which come with building a business at every stage of the journey. Today, I'm joined by someone who certainly knows all about that. Amit Amarje, founder of Plantmade. The
1: littlest thing like naming your business a certain way you know, creating an ecosystem or a world that your your customers can buy into. Those are some of the things that already set you apart out the gate. This weird naming conventions, like, oh, there's so many levels to this brand. They care so much that they're going to, you know, maybe spend a week trying to name one product <laughs> just to have that naming convention and build that world for you to kind of buy into.
0: Plantmade's an organic hair care and wellness brand that aims to get the sort of root causes of any hair and beard woes. After being made redundant during the COVID-19 crisis, Amma started the company from home with only 100 quid, creating a hair care treatment for her alopecia using ingredients inspired by her Ghanaian heritage. Amma continued experimenting with natural ingredients and started selling hair and beard care products via Instagram. Within five months, she was making six figures. She was soon drawing on her nascent business skills to survive an existential crisis though, a legal threat which saw her suspend operations, rebrand and start all over again. There's a real family ethos to the business, with Amma employing her brother, while as you'll hear, her mum plays a big part in her story too. We recorded this episode remotely, so I'm sure you'll forgive any background noise in this chat, which Amma recorded while her business continued to expand in the background. And as for my end, well, I'm blaming any background noise on the cat. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about the beginnings of your business journey. Uh, you started Made after being laid off during the pandemic. W- what were you doing, and and how worried were you when you lost that job?
1: Funny enough, I was battling between whether I should quit or just keep it going because I didn't really like the job that much, and I was I was struggling a bit. So when I was laid off, it was almost a bit. I was a bit annoyed because they beat me to it, really. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I actually had a weird sense of freedom. Obviously, a few weeks later, the pandemic hit, so it was a bit crazy. But I almost thought of it as like a second chance, really. OK, this is an opportunity for me to finally chase my dreams, even though I didn't really have the the resources. I didn't have that much money, but I was excited for just a venture to see what I could do with total freedom and no restraints, basically.
0: And did you have a particular business idea in mind at that point or did you develop it after you after you lost your job? Did you have this hair care business in mind already? Were you weighing that up before you were made redundant?
1: Funny enough, no. This is this was completely random. <laughs> I was um so I was working on something in the wellness space because I've always been like I've always been interested in hair, my personal hair, and I've always been interested in wellness, but I never thought to make it a business. I was actually looking into maybe starting a men's skincare brand because it was like an underutilized niche. Men needed, you know, skincare of their own. And I just thought that would be interesting. Turns out though, I ended up starting this business because I was dealing with my own issues. And because of COVID, it was a time where a lot of people were focusing on themselves. They were taking care of their skin more, they were taking care of their hair and their wellness, just in general. And i followed suit and i was like this is a time where i'm not going to be seen that much by a lot of people so why don't i go and fix the issues that i need to fix in private so you know whenever the world opens up again my hair can look good basically and then turned out i actually had a lot of interest from my friends on instagram that they were interested in growing their hair too i didn't realize how many of my friends were dealing with hair issues until I had posted a few pictures of my results after I concocted a random hair oil. Um, Just doing some research on the internet and seeing what herbs and oils I could mix together myself, see if I can fix my issues, and I ended up doing so. It's basically the inception of Plant Made, and it's crazy to know that just me posting and sharing my story was able to help me start a whole business.
0: (laughs) And you invested, I think, £100 originally, didn't you? And then that took off and became £1,000. And then you reinvested it and you've sort of built it organically from that, haven't you? Were you surprised at how quickly it took off? And what kind of challenges did you face in, I suppose, managing this rapid growth when you didn't have any experience in building a business at that point?
1: Yeah, I was actually surprised because I think I was so naive to the fact that there were that many people dealing with the same thing. Because I'm not new to hair care. I've known hair care for a long time. I just didn't realize it wasn't doing what it needed to do for the customers. I didn't realize how many customers weren't, you know, having their hair loss resolved, having their alopecia resolved or having, you know, their dry hair resolved. It was just like things of vanity, like softer hair, silkier hair. But it's like it's not really getting to the strength or the health of one's hair. But as soon as I noticed that and as soon as, you know, basically my friends and friends of friends told me to basically start this business I was like I'm gonna do loads and loads of research to see what I can do to actually fix these problems head first and be bold with it because I also knew that there was gonna it was gonna be a bit weary tackling some of these claims um, you know hair loss is a massive thing it's very very medical and you can't just say you're gonna solve hair loss and we don't even say that um, we're very careful with our language that was like one of the first learning curves I had to really learn how to communicate the solution that I had to customers effectively, as well as the difficulties. I mean, the whole thing was just such a learning curve. Like I'd never been in a position where I'm selling to people. I had to take on so many jobs at once. I was customer service. I was doing product development, marketing, web design, like I was doing everything. Um, so it was a lot to do and juggle all at the same time. And especially in the first six months, I was hand-making everything myself as well on top of everything else. But I also was like thrilled at that. Okay, I'd rather do this than anything else. I'd rather do this than work a job because I've really felt fulfilled seeing my customers come back with the results. You know, some people had been dealing with their issues for years, like decades. And like my, like little old me, I was able to make something that was able to help them. That was really like gratifying, and that kept me going.
0: Since this is audio, I should say that Emma's hair looks absolutely fantastic. So that's a pretty good uh, that's <laughs> a pretty good advert for the for the products. Well, tell me about why you focused on you know sort of <laughs> vegan uh, and that very natural product. Was that in your mind from the start that this should be vegan and natural based, and why was that? Where did that come from?
1: So um, going up, I had a lot of issues. Um, I had eczema. I had very severe hormonal acne for like my entire pubescent years like I just had issues and I was always prescribed steroids injections and they just burnt my face and I was just like this stuff has never worked for me and I know I'm not the only one who doesn't really like you know the really chemical based products so that was kind of like the leading cause because I did also research that that was something that more and more people every day were leaning into also it's It's really about connecting back to the roots of how we used to do things. I'm sure like not everything needs to go back to how it used to be. Like, thank God for, you know, technology and research and stuff like that. But there's some things that shouldn't be forgotten. So I was looking for those gems, those ingredients, those herbs and uh, thankfully yeah i'm glad we didn't forget them because yeah my customers are seeing great success
0: and the business was doing absolutely fantastically and growing quickly wasn't it and then you received uh, what would prove to be a pretty unwelcome letter in the post <laughs> a, a cease and desist letter over your brand which at the time was planted tell me a little bit about the circumstances around that am i am i right in saying that your your mum came over and thought it was uh, thought it was good news initially but presumably by your face when you opened the letter quickly <laughs> quickly realized that it wasn't
1: yeah so she thought it was a certificate I was just working um, as usual and I had one of my employees with me so my mom comes with this you know certificate looking folder and she's like oh hey like this looks good like um turns out it was going to change everything I didn't quite comprehend what I was reading I was just seeing like very aggressive words I was just like I don't know what to do here because at the time it was just so new in the business. We were just about to come into our 6,000 square foot unit. Things were just progressing and this just felt like a halt at the time. I had legal help come in and see if there was anything that could be done. Yeah, I just had to let it go. And I think letting go of the name planted was probably the hardest part of all of this. Outside of like the business repercussions, which would be, okay, customers don't know who you're called now. When they're trying to search you, they can't find you, you might lose some customers. I think personally, it's because like this was the first thing I had built by myself. Planted really represented that like journey as well as like the name of the business. It represented everything at the time. Um, so that was really hard to let go of. And then we had to shut down and then rebrand. But we tried to rebrand as fast as possible. And yeah, we were able to do it in two months, but it was. Very hectic, very very hectic.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit about that period. It's two months, and it's you know pretty radical stuff because you had to halt production, rebrand, relaunch, communicate to staff what's going on. As you said, you've lost your customers. I think you, I think I've read that you lost thirty five thousand subscribers, forty four thousand Instagram followers. It's a massive reset for the business so early in its gestation. Tell me a little bit about that period and, and how you got through it.
1: It was definitely one of those, like, you know, you have to go back to the source of of your passion. Um, Otherwise, it was really easy to quit. But I didn't want to be a quitter. I wanted to really understand the opportunity in the situation. And to be honest, there was a lot of opportunity in the situation. Because at the end of the day, we were limited regardless with that name. There were so many other categories we wanted to go into that we couldn't because of planted because other people had trademarked things under planted so we were able to now start afresh almost and really tackle so many interests and products we want to create over time so it was so hard coming up with plant made and it was funny because i actually went in jeru duty around that time as well it was just like so much chaos happening at the same time and like i'm in between the case and i just come up with this name like i'm texting my my staff and i'm like what about this name plant made and they're like okay and then we sat on it for a few days and it's like do you know what this hits it feels right let's go with it and then we just basically used that as opportunity as well to restructure the business obviously we were only a year old so we restructured how we were going to approach finances how we were going to approach the marketing how we want to improve the packaging improve the customer experience so we You know took notes of what our customers were asking for and we fixed those issues so we really used it as an opportunity for like a reset and it really worked out in our favor it wasn't easy coming back because again you know we lost a lot of customers we lost a lot of subscribers and stuff those things were hard so when we first came back we didn't have like you know the numbers that we used to do and it was hard to see the business almost fall in a sense But it was like, okay, cool. This was fire under us. Let us get back to where we used to be. And then let's progress and build the biggest business we possibly can. It only took a few months to get back, but it was insane work. <laughs> we, we were working really hard.
0: <laughs> I actually think Made is a better brand than Planted. So, you know, w- well done for, for coming up with that. Have you got any advice for uh, small companies on branding since you've already come up with two brands in what's still a relatively <laughs> young business now? What, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs about going through that process and coming up with a, a name and also packaging and messaging and everything that hits?
1: For me, I actually really take this stuff seriously. All my products have their own individual names. Everything is so intentional because basically one of the biggest businesses that inspire me, and it might be cliche, but it is what it is. Apple, they inspire me so much. And Steve Jobs inspires me so much because he built an ecosystem. And an ecosystem I personally can't get out of. I will never buy anything Android in my entire life. I just can't do it, Um, but it's because, like, he's named everything, like, it has its own identity. The iPhone is the iPhone. It's not just a phone. The Mac is the Mac. It's not just a laptop. Everything has its own identity, and that really brings the customer to have more affinity, have more dependence, or have more of a relationship with, you know, whatever they're using. So, like, our customers can be like, hey... Oh, is my favorite product. Like, I just love the way Drizzle. And almost like humanizing the products as well. Like, that just brings more loyalty than just, oh, this other oil. You know, it's just like, when your customers size you up to other businesses in your space, what are the things you can do, the little things that you can do to stand out? Obviously, being unique is important, but there's just so much competition out there. The littlest thing, like naming your business a certain way, you know, creating an ecosystem or a world that your your customers can buy into. Those are some of the things that already set you apart out the gate. And that is probably one of the things that set us apart from everyone else. This weird naming conventions, but they're cool. But it also makes sense because like what the product is doing and what the nature name is doing is the same thing. So it's like, oh, there's so many levels to this brand. They care so much that they're going to you know, maybe spend a week trying to name one product (laughs) just to have that naming convention and build that world for you to kind of buy into. So I'll definitely say names are important. They need to make sense. It's a world you're trying to create. So don't take them lightly, but also don't spend too much time on it. Just if it makes sense, if it's punchy, those are some of the things that customers are really looking for.
0: The other thing that I've noticed that seems to be quite key to your strategy is this uh, this idea of drops, you know, that you see quite a lot in uh, youth fashion and stuff, for example, don't you? And it sort of creates this buzz and exclusivity and limited edition products. Can you just talk to me a little bit about why you decided to take that approach versus a more conventional online retail approach of, you know, just having stuff available and there and you can get it at any time?
1: So we obviously hand make the products, which was like a major factor in the drops. It just helps us you know manage the slow made side of things because our our most popular product inches has to brew for two weeks there's other things that need to infuse like we really make sure that quality is not lost as we grow we still don't want that to to kind of be lost so those are some of the aspects why we drop our products but also on the other side it's more of like a scarcity thing you can't just have it You know, and it's funny because our customers had never experienced that before with like their personal care products or their wellness products. Like they're just used to having it on hand. But it's almost like now when our customers buy from us, they're so much more intentional than just a quick buy. Oh, I just saw this and I browsed. So I just bought. No, someone might have to wait a week before we're back in stock they've had a week to think about whether they're going to buy from us or not they might reach out to us we're giving them some consultation they might see some content all of a sudden they are much more of a stronger customer than anyone else would have been if they just saw us ah let's see and then they'll probably ask for a refund because they used it for two days and then didn't see any results like it was definitely a partially a loyalty play as well we want to build customers with massive intention like hair loss is no joke growth is no joke you have to give yourself that commitment to go through the journey and I feel like waiting for these products to come back in stock and stuff I think that process is really emulated there It's cool because some people see it as a game, um, (laughs) and it's like we don't want to be malicious. It's not just that we're trying to, you know, you know, build a bigger business or whatever. We are also still trying to maintain the quality of our products. So it's really half and half.
0: That's really interesting because I'd assumed that it was a, uh, like, it sounds like some of your customers, I'd assumed it was a demand thing, but it's also very much a supply management thing, isn't it? Yeah. But how do you sort of balance the the supply side as you grow? And that, you know, it sounds like you're very committed to handmade organic products. Do you feel a pressure to sort of maybe (laughs) dilute your principles at all (laughs) as you're getting all this demand coming through? How How do you manage that, right?
1: So we're even at the stage where, like, we haven't even invested that much into, like, machinery yet. So, like, a lot of stuff are still really much, like, handmade. So we already have another level of, like, taking the edge off of our production style with machinery before we even have to do anything else. So I think we're in a really good position because a lot of the products that we we create, once they're finished, like, our inches, once it's finished, brewing for two weeks, we can make a 1,000. So it's like, okay, cool, you know? So we've figured out we've really had to like tighten up our supply chain thankfully as well with our supply chain we actually mainly buy our raw ingredients from the UK just to kind of mitigate any you know craziness happening in the world so that's really helped us out we've had a lot of control around that piece so because we have so much control I think we just know how to replicate either through machinery or just more stuff um in in terms of like growing the the supply part of the business basically
0: the ingredients are organic but the growth of the business is organic too right because you you know it's very much bring revenues in reinvest you haven't taken outside investment tell me a a little bit about why you've relied on self-financing self-financing your growth and would you ever consider taking outside investment to speed up the growth of the company
1: I love this woman called Sarah Blakely, the inventor of Spanx. She accidentally grew her business to a billion dollars, all self-funded. And I just love that. Just knowing that, like, you can do it. It's not easy, but it's a challenge. And unfortunately, I'm crazy. I'm always looking for the hardest way to do something, clearly, as you've seen. (laughs) So I'm just like, let's take the challenge. Let's see. And there's a lot of stuff that comes with taking someone else's money. There's, you know, all of a sudden different rules, different regulations, different expectations, and some unnecessary pressure. Until I really think it is a, like the best move for us right now, I'm seeing how far we can go with credit and bootstrapping basically that's not to say that i'm against it completely and i don't think any business owner should do it i think there's some ideas that need funding that need money to be pumped behind it i just don't think it's for every single business to throw money behind an issue because that money still can be wasted so figure out the kinks that will really help you grow organically or with your own money And then all of a sudden, if you do raise outside of that, that venture capital is just going to fuel a proven system you've already built. Because um, the stats show that 80 or 90 percent of venture capital is spent on Facebook ads, which is absolutely insane because most of the time they don't even know what they're doing. So basically, just throwing money down the drain. You raised all that money. You now have less equity in your business. But what? So basically, I like figuring out the growth levers in the business before doing anything after that. There was a point, especially when we closed down, where it could have been crazy. I still was like, no, I know we can do this. It's going to be tight. It's going to be crazy. But I know we can we can rise above and we can get our revenue back to a really good place. And we did that.
0: I'm really pleased you made that point about 80% of uh, VC money going into, you know, Facebook and Google and stuff. Cause that is uh, one of my sort of pet peeves as well. Cause it feels like it's some sort of big Ponzi scheme for the tech, for the tech giants, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: it's
0: like
1: the second rent.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That. So, you were featured in a BBC documentary about your business, which I really enjoyed watching. And what really came across in that for me was that you'd really created a sort of family environment around the business and you had staff really enjoying working for this small growing company more so than maybe some of the previous jobs they'd had working for larger, more more traditional businesses. Can you tell me a little bit about your management style and how you try and foster that feeling in in the company you're building and trusting young staff, I think, came across in that as well?
1: I really have had to learn a lot. I had stints of leadership in my life so when I was in uni, I was ahead of some societies and I learned a little bit there. I'm not not to say that that is the same degree you know of seriousness as a whole business or a company. So they're definitely different. but I learned to be a leader. I also learned what I didn't like. I know what it was like to have the you know not the best leadership or the best support in my previous job to help someone get to where they need to be so that's really something that i have taken on board and i really want to give you know my staff the tools and kind of set them up for the best and then help them along the way figure you know it out independently basically so the whole smothering thing is not really a a, no i don't really do all of that it's more so kind of like a team effort i i want to create a team environment i also want to make everyone know how they are responsible for their part of our success because at first when everyone started to come on they used to be like oh it's Amma's business or your business your business and I'm like it's no longer my business anymore it's everyone's like we're all here and I don't even say like people work for me I say they work with me and that is true because if I could do it alone then I would have but I couldn't so like I'm very humble in the fact that like it's not that I'm you know, the boss and everyone is under me. No, it's, we're all working together and we've, like, everyone is a part of this success and everyone also can realise that they will be a part of the future success as long as, you know, we're all motivated to you know, achieve the goals that I've been, you know, my crazy goals that have been set, <laughs> basically. Because I've always come out with some crazy numbers, like, yeah, you know, we'll be in New York and we'll do this and that. And everyone's looking at me like, oh, here she goes again. But then it's like, oh, well, she's not wrong though. I mean, she's done it before. Well, we've done it before. We can do it again. So always looking to push people beyond their limit. It's not easy because not everyone is kind of like in that space or doing that, like, personal development as fast as I am, but I know that I have to do that because if I didn't, if I wasn't growing faster than I needed the business to grow, then we would be at a halt. So I also recognise that I could potentially fire myself if I'm not growing and learning at the rate that the business needs me to. Business is really a lot of self-reflection and um, self-awareness, there's there's so much of that. Um, And it's really helped me become a better person
0: and do you think that going through that difficult experience you had around the cease and desist letter helped show to staff as well as to you because you know you led the business through that but you also had your team working on getting through that period do you think that's kind of helped you create an ambitious environment because you can sort of show well look we had to basically restart the business and look where we've got to so we can achieve I don't know like you mentioned expanding into the United States or launching into a new product market or whatever it might be
1: yeah to be honest that's a really good point I think yeah that was a major turning point I don't even think I consciously knew how I was leading people through it I just am a type A personality so I create a plan these are all the things I think based on research based on my knowledge in the space these are all the things that I think are going to get us back I literally put comprehensive plans together for everybody I also did have chats with everyone And just because they were also like mourning the situation as well. They had bought into the initial vision of the business. And to know that that was going like everyone was like, oh, there was there was a little bit of a lag in the legal battle. Some people were like, no, let's fight. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, some of our staff were like, oh, we can't just let them take our name like that. And it's like I was the one that just nipped it in the bud. As early as it could be, as soon as I learned that we weren't really going to have a successful fight here, you know our our, our staff weren't okay with that, but I had to walk them through the the new possibilities and you know whatever the business was going to be called after that, or the new vision, I had to walk them through that it wasn't It wasn't easy because they had to let go of all of what they'd seen what they'd been a part of as well, so kind of just had to rebuild everyone's mindset and also confidence confidence in the future of the business too. Because it's not easy. Like it's a small business. Like we hear crazy stuff all the time about businesses, you know, turning upside down and all sorts. And I wasn't going to let this happen. But I'm sure some some staff had some fear maybe. Oh, maybe things aren't going to turn around. But I couldn't even let that fear remain within me for too long. I had to get back on the confidence horse and be like, no guys, we're going to turn this around. I don't know how. We just are. I just feel like let's do these things, let's try them out, and let's do more. And then, you know, let's just take it a day at a time. Thankfully, that had that's helped us get back. Yeah, it was. It was. It's definitely been crazy. As well as dealing
0: with all all that craziness and building this business and and ups and downs, you've also got a podcast, haven't you, with with some friends called uh, Rice at Home. I think. Can you tell me a little bit about that and yeah. what what you're trying to achieve with that and and who it's aimed at?
1: Rice at Home was really an audio documentary basically like if you listen to the first episode it's literally us introducing ourselves back in 2017 as you know students who are passionate about business have no skills though (laughs) no idea what they're doing but just want to figure out this journey to success in our own way and every episode explores a different version of that what we've learned what we've read what we've seen, what's happening in the media and how, you know, the business side of pop culture and how that all affects us and also all the things that we've we we we've been inspired by. So some things might be literal businesses or some things might be music or art, whatever, because we take inspiration from everywhere. The audience really is the struggling entrepreneur or it's the struggling person who has a goal, doesn't know how to get it and is trying to find those tools. And we were essentially talking about the things we were learning on the go to see how we can figure out our journey to success, basically. We also brought in people as well that just had crazy stories. One of my friends, Ibrahim, he quit his Tesco job and built a massive media company that now works with Google and Nike. And his last job was Tesco. It's just like, what? It's like, you've got so many different people just doing crazy things in this world. And it was like also a lever to to share those stories as well as our own well,
0: i think probably the, some of the value comes from going on that journey with you right because people don't want to always want to be spoken to people who've like you know just seem like they're already there like going on you with the journey, I imagine is probably quite inspiring for the listeners who've been with you, been with you for a long time. And and I was really interested in something you said a little bit earlier about building yourself as an entrepreneur is also about becoming a better person in your personal life because of the things you learn. What kind of things have you taken from the lessons you've had in business and the development you've had there that you feel that you've also been I suppose beneficial to you in your in your personal life too?
1: Um I think Patience, um, <laughs> just everyone's always in a rush for something. Patience is a virtue, it really is, because you you don't dictate the time you're gonna get something, but it's the perseverance of that journey. So it could be anything, could really be anything. Could be like, right now I'm on a fitness journey. Having the perseverance to go for it, even though it's hard. I think another thing is like, realizing how primed for negativity we are um, as humans. There's just so much negative stuff that comes our way. And it's not our fault. That's the thing. We're so reactive to things that we didn't ask for. And it makes sense because in theory, it's like, well, of course, I didn't ask for this. Like, I didn't ask for bad news. I didn't ask for my car to break down. I didn't ask for any of that. It happens. But it's like, now we're responsible for our reaction towards that. Are we going to let that thing make our day the worst day of the week? Are we going to allow that anger to now spill into our personal relationships like what what are we doing here and I think that's seeing things in a positive light and really controlling emotions has been important because I've been tested so many times and I couldn't let myself take any of that stuff out on my staff. I couldn't let anything get in the way of that but actually letting emotions get to you and bring you down, things like a cease and desist, like <laughs> ruin your life, you know, and make you depressed and stuff. Like, I didn't even have the time to be depressed about that. I had to keep on going. And it's mainly because I had to switch my mindset, my focus and see again, different perspectives. What good can come out of the bad? Also knowing that failure is okay. Failure is perfectly fine. It's nothing wrong with it. It's not a case of like failure itself. It's just things didn't work out. I, I just feel like they're two different things something didn't work. That's not necessarily a failure. It just didn't work. A lot of things don't work. <laughs> I made cookies one time, it didn't work the first time. Am I now going to call myself a failure? No, it just didn't work out. The second time though, they tasted great. So it's just, it's just really figuring out those things. And yeah, I'm definitely more positive than I ever have been, more optimistic than I ever have been, and more delusional in a a great way. Making it known to myself that I can do whatever I say. I can do whatever I I put my mind to. And a lot of people don't think they have the power to do that. And that's really sad. But I also used to be one of those people that used to just think, my life is supposed to be this way. Why? I don't know. But then I hear a story like, quit Tesco and build a multi-million business. Okay. (laughs) You know, accidentally build a, you know, a billion dollar company with your own money. Okay. I'm starting to hear that maybe there's, those people are on a different frequency than me and I need to get up to that frequency of, you know, not letting anything stop you or letting anyone um, get in the way of your, your goals.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. And uh, do you manage to keep an eye on your sort of management of your personal finances as well? Because I think the reason I asked that, that's one of the themes, isn't it, of the podcast that you do. And actually, a lot of entrepreneurs don't manage to keep an eye on their personal finances because they're too busy focusing on the business. Is it something that you manage to be strategic about?
1: I wasn't paying myself for a long time. And it's because, unfortunately, I have a victim complex. And it's not that I'm a, I'm a victim. It's like, I will sacrifice myself <laughs> for, for everything. So I was like, yeah, let's just pump more and more and more into the business. And when it came a time where I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm not getting any rewards. And it was demotivating. And it's like, why am I living like this? Like, why can I not celebrate what I've created and get rewards from it? That's something I have struggled with in the past. Because of my upbringing, it was just kind of like, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" It was never a time to like be rewarded and stuff. Like it was just kind of like on the go. But that's very much an immigrant story. A lot of immigrants go through. But then I spoke to my accountant, and he was like, "Amma, this is ridiculous. You can pay yourself. You don't have to suffer anymore. You've done the suffering. Now you you've really got this. You know this business to where you want to be." I don't know why it was hard for me, but it just was. To kind of take from the business and then and getting paid from the business. It was a long time. It was definitely like I think nine or nine or ten months into the business by that and by that time we were well over into six figures. Uh, and I still wasn't paying myself. Bear in mind I had staff, so I was paying them comfortably. <laughs> I wasn't paying myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fixing these issues. It's still a problem. When you know, whenever I was reading my personal finance books and stuff, it was always like, okay, don't go in too much. Make sure that you're you're being wise. You're being a bit frugal. You're making sure that there's enough surplus, but it's like no one tells you when that point is. Like then you're becoming crazy, you know. Like for not rewarding yourself or paying yourself. And yeah, there's some founders that take money out straight away. There's other founders that took a long time to get money out. It also depends on how your you know the business performance as well. But um, yeah, thankfully I've been able to invest in a few things. I haven't done loads because I still feel like my cash flow isn't quite there to like really be investing in like tons of stuff i'm more focused on like getting the business to like a fantastic place where i can get more out of it and then reinvest it into other areas
0: that's brilliant and you said you want to get the business into a fantastic place tell me what that looks like so what do the next few years hold for plant what's your vision for the business and for yourself as well
1: so I want Plant Made to go clear. Um, I just want it everywhere and anywhere, humanly possible. Um, the first thing is to take over the US. And obviously that is a challenge because there's just so much going on over there. And it's just a different vibe. Like I was even there um, at the beginning of the year. And uh, I have a friend out there who has a similar business to me. And was just talking and I was just like, I could just tell like, Americans are just different. The, the our market's just different. The expectations are different. What they're looking for is different. And, you know, that really taught me on like, okay, you can't just throw money into being seen over there. You really have to do the work. So I feel like when we're established in the US, then kind of like the EU, Australia, Canada, those will really be some great times for us, especially when we establish ourselves in those great markets. I see us expanding our product line ridiculously. I see us going into so many different things. To be honest, I'm just creating things for myself. And there just happens to be a ton of people that want it too. Uh, So (laughs) I'm just like, oh, this is great, guys. I'm so glad we're on the same wavelength. Uh, (laughs) So that's going to be cool to see, like, where the product line goes. I'm still making the products. I'm still developing the products myself. So that's really cool that I get to be creative in that way. I really... Hope we don't run out of names. Please pray for us because it's getting harder every day. Um, so, yeah, just see Plot May in a powerhouse. Just something you can't ignore in the best way. Who knows? We might have a store. Who knows? I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot that could be done. We just hope that we, we make the right decisions for our business.
0: And all of that from being made redundant before the before the pandemic. So it just shows. So who would have thought? Exactly. <laughs> who, who, who would have thought? You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining me today and sharing that roller coaster journey. I've got a feeling we would be hearing a lot more about you and Plant Made. I'll be back next time getting to know Giles English, co-founder of Braymont Watches, who together with his brother and co-founder Nick has done nothing less than pioneered a reinvigoration of British watchmaking. We had this call the other day from Harrison Ford's team and
1: they said, uh, look, Harrison's in, in England filming um, for Indiana Jones and he, he loves his watches and obviously loves his planes as, as you guys do. We've got a bit of spare time, Can come and have a tour of the wing. So came for a tour and some sort of four hours later and half a half bowl of whiskey down in our bar, they'll wear them because they like them and, and like
0: what we stand for as a brand. Make sure you're following the Entrepreneurs Chats. You're always notified when a new episode is available. Until next time, goodbye. Does running a business leave little time for managing your personal financial affairs? At Climewat Hambrose, we know how to simplify life's financial challenges for entrepreneurs. Considering your personal and business ambitions, we partner with you at every stage of your life, taking care of your finances so you can focus on what matters most to you. Find out more about how we can help create a secure financial future for you and your family at climbwathambrose.com.